Welcome back, folks. I am your host, the NFL Always Offseason GM, Fred, and we have a great show planned here for you today. There's been a ton of roster additions and subtractions since the last show, so we're going to try to go through and highlight some of the big ones that have happened in the last week. And then after that, we're going to dive into our top fives again for the upcoming NFL draft. We're going to do offensive tackles and interior offensive linemen, and then we're also going to do our top five tight ends to try to round out some of the offense here. So, big show, huge show. We got lots of stuff here for you, so we're just going to jump right into it right away. So, we're just going to lead right off here with the the biggest news story from the past week here. It's going to be the Deshaun Watson stuff. Uh, It's absolutely wild that this man got traded, so I'm going to preface it by this. Uh, He's a very young, talented quarterback, but the allegations against him have not gone away yet. He's not exonerated. I think he's going to see some type of suspension in the future, whether it's for an extended amount of time or his career, we will see. I don't exactly know. I'm not going to pretend to know what that situation, what that's all like. It's it's a, it's a little embarrassing for the league that this happened so quick uh, without having any clarity on the situation. But nonetheless, he gets moved, and it's a huge package. So... I had to pull up the exact compensation for this. So essentially what Houston is sending is Deshaun Watson in a six-rounder for 2024 to the Cleveland Browns. In return, they get Cleveland's first-rounder this year in 2022 in addition to a fourth-rounder this year. They also get a first-rounder and a third-rounder in 2023. And then they will also get a first-rounder in 2024, along with another fourth-rounder in that time frame as well. So it's quite the haul that we're seeing that they're getting for him here. But that's a ton of draft capital. And I I understand Deshaun Watson, when he plays, is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's automatically a top-five, top-ten type of guy. Like, that, he's got that much potential, and he's only 26 years old. So I get the big swing here. I just, given the situation, I just... I find it hard to believe that it was imperative to move this fast. And on top of it, there was even bigger news coming along with the trade that he signs a five-year, $230 million extension that is completely guaranteed over the life of the deal. So that's a 46 per year APY that's fully guaranteed, which is a new record over, I believe, what Kirk Cousins had gotten. And it's more guaranteed money than what Aaron Rodgers had gotten which adds a whole nother layer to this is that I just cannot believe that you don't know what the clarity is on this situation for this guy. And I apologize that there's a ton of rain coming down here right now. It's very hard to hear, but you have no idea what this guy's situation is right now. You don't know when he's going to be able to play, if he's going to be able to play and you're doling out this kind of money. And I get the whole, uh, we'll do it now and we'll ask for forgiveness later. Like, it, I don't agree with it, but I get that's what they're doing here. It just, man, there's a there's a ton of bad PR coming with this move. And football-wise, makes a lot of sense for the Browns. But, man, I just, I can't say I agree with it right off the bat. And then the whole other layer to this is Baker Mayfield, during this whole thing, has been very aware of what's going on. And he's asked to, actually requested a trade. And now that they have... Deshaun Watson and Toll, and you've signed Jacoby Brissett as his backup. Like, what's your options now? Everybody knows that you're getting rid of Baker Mayfield. Who's going to come ponying up to the front with a, a second or third rounder 
on a guy that's only got a year, a year left on his deal. Like, everybody knows you're going to trade him. They know you're not going to keep him. There's no point keeping him. That's like an $18 million cap hit that you can just shut off the books just like that. So, like, what are we... <laughs> it, Cleveland going out there asking for anything is is completely detrimental to them. They've lost all leverage in this situation. Uh, I think they really need to figure something out with Seattle or with Carolina to kind of try to get some kind of return for this guy because it's going to get messy if you don't get rid of Baker soon. Uh, the next biggest story from the past week that came down is going to be, I believe it was right after we posted the episode last week. I don't know if we included this or not. It's going to be the Devontae Adams trade. And I'm a huge Packer fan. Everybody knows that. So this one kind of hit home for me. But it, it kind of sounded like there was some ruffled feathers behind closed doors. It sounded like, well, first we'll start off with the compensation. Packers send Devontae Adams to the Oakland Raiders. Oakland, excuse me, Las Vegas Raiders. In return, they get a first and a second round pick in this year's draft. So that's a pretty good draft haul for a wide receiver that was on a one-year uh, franchise tag deal. Uh, in return, the Raiders made Devontae Adams the richest wide receiver in NFL history. They gave him a five-year, $140 million contract. I believe it came out to like $28.5 million per year. So that, that beat the previous mark by a million and a half. So that's exactly what he was looking for. It was rumored the Packers offered the same contract to Devontae Adams. And he said, no, I don't want to play here anymore. So once again, that comes back to, I believe there's some ruffled feathers in the background here. Uh, from over time, it, it sounds like they've been working on an extension for a very long time, about a year or two here for the Green Bay Packers. And they were very hesitant to give him a long-term lucrative deal. And they kept saying no. They kept lowballing him. And next thing you know, you have a guy that doesn't want to play for you anymore, regardless if him and Aaron Rodgers are best friends or not. Like, you could not just bank on that the whole time. I think that the Packers completely mishandled the situation the entire time if they wanted to retain him. If the plan was to eventually just move him and drive up the asking price, you know, maybe you maximize value there. But if you were looking to retain this guy, you completely fumbled the bag. And it's not a good look for Green Bay's front office. You like to have the the perception that you take care of your own guys, that you're willing to dole out the money they've earned, and he's definitely earned it. But it just goes to show you that it's it's really hard to keep everybody. And what's more shocking is Aaron Rodgers signed this deal knowing that this was going to go down. Go down. So uh, I, I think that this has huge repercussions, that Packers wide receiver room is completely empty right now other than maybe Alan Lazard. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do to build that room up. Uh, moving right along here. Matt Ryan was also dealt to the Indianapolis Colts in exchange for a third-round pick. And the most shocking part of this deal for me was it only took a third-round pick to get Matt Ryan. And I know Matt Ryan's older, but if we're looking at, like, the Carson Wentz trade, they gave up two, a third-rounder and a conditional second-rounder to get Carson Wentz. So just get rid of the conditional second, and you could have had Matt Ryan, who's arguably a better player. I... That's the move I'm making if I was Washington. There's no way I would have wanted Carson Wentz for the return that they got on him. I mean, you're talking, the money's fairly similar. I think Matt Ryan's a little bit more. But, I mean, the Falcons are going to eat a lot of that in dead cap. So I just, still mind-boggling to me what Washington was doing in that situation. But Indy, this isn't a bad move for them. They get a proven uh, proven veteran. Uh, I know Matt Ryan's kind of fallen off since he had that MVP season. 
but he's still a capable player. He didn't have a ton of help there in Atlanta last year, so he's going to get it this year in Indy. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how this one pans out to see if he's got anything left in the tank. Uh, moving right along, the last trade we're going to go over here is going to be the Robert Woods trade. The Rams dealt him to the Tennessee Titans in exchange for just a seventh rounder, which was kind of surprising to me. I know Robert Woods had the torn ACL last year. He's going to be recovering. I'm guessing he's going to play in some capacity this year. But you get a really reliable target. It sounds like he's a really good locker room guy. It sounds like a lot of guys like playing with him. So I think this is a really good get for the Tennessee Titans uh, to bring into their very empty wide receiver room now that Julio's gone. You can pair him up with A.J. Brown. So I like the deal for Tennessee. And on the flip side, the L.A. Rams had a surplus of receivers. So it was uh, high time that they had to get rid of one of these guys because they actually signed Allen Robinson to a three-year, $46 million deal. Uh, so that was a very crowded room. And if, especially if they plan on bringing back OBJ, which it remains to be seen. It sounds like they want to. They haven't made a move yet on him. But either way, you can't have that many number one guys, Cooper Cup, uh, Allen Robinson, Robert Woods. Uh, and then if you do decide back OBJ, that, that's a ton of that's a ton of talent. You gotta shed some of it, make room for some of the young guys. Van Jefferson, you took two two at well really early. You gotta have a plan there. So I like the deal for the Tennessee Titans. I thought the Rams could have asked for a little bit more. Moving right along back into the free agency signings. Uh, the first one right off the bat is probably the biggest one. He was one of the higher-ranked free agents on most uh, outlets and websites. It's going to be Teron Armstead. He signs with the Miami Dolphins. I believe it was like five years, 76 or $78 million, which is a, a pretty big number, especially for a guy that's been pretty injured uh, and it's in his early 30s. But the Dolphins had a huge need along the offensive line. They've really addressed some of it for most of free agency here, but they get the biggest piece right now to help protect the, I know two is left-handed, so it's not his blind side. It'll be his, his front side. They can get a guy for the left tackle spot essentially here. And Toronto's Armstead went healthy is one of the best ones in the entire league. So that's a huge get for them. Uh, I know that the, the money's a little scary with his injury situation, but those are the kind of decisions you got to make if you want to take that next step. So Toronto Armstead to the Miami Dolphins. Next up is going to be the Chandler Jones signing. I thought this was one of the bigger signings as well. Chandler Jones still got a ton in the left in the tank as a pass rusher, and he ends up going to the Las Vegas Raiders, and the AFC West just keeps stacking talent. And now he gets to play opposite of Max Crosby, so that's going to be an absolute nightmare for opposing quarterbacks. That's two of the best pressure guys in the entire league playing opposite each other. And Chandler Jones ends up getting three years, $52 million. Uh, that that's a fairly decent deal. It's not a huge number, but it's also it's 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 a it's enough compensation to commit to a guy that's 32 years old. Uh, he's been really productive. I think he's only missed time with the the one big injury he had a couple years back. It was a torn Achilles, but he came back. He looked really good last year. I think it's a great ad for this Oakland team, or I keep calling them Oakland. This Vegas team that's trying to keep pace with the rest of the the arms race that's going on in the AFC West. So uh, the next thing that's going to be up here is going to be the <laughs> next signing. I apologize. I just flipped out of my notes app. It's going to be the Allen Robinson one. Oh, but we just discussed that one. I apologize. It's going to be James White. So we're going to have a little bit of a fall off here in terms of talent. 
but James White back to the New England Patriots. It's like a two-year, five-year million deal or five million dollar deal. And James White is most important to the New England Patriots over anybody else. You could have seen if if Tampa Bay had the room to see him, bring him in there. I know he was a huge weapon for Tom Brady during his time there. But they, they love James White there. I think it's a great addition to try to get a more dynamic back as you got the two guys that are really able to run the ball there. Moving right along, I'm going to try to quit, quick hit some of these. They're not as big as signings. It's going to be Hayden Hurst is going to the Cincinnati Bengals. I didn't see any terms disclosed on this one yet. But essentially after losing C.J. Azama, they needed to get some uh, replacement production at the tight end position. Hayden Hurst uh, played, I believe it was for Atlanta this past year. Wasn't terrible. He's a starter option there. So good get by Cincinnati to, to stay in the running here as well in the AFC. Moving along, it's going to be Juju Smith-Schuster. Ends up signing a one-year $10.75 million deal with the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs really have been kind of searching for that third wide receiver. Uh, they brought back Demarcus Robinson this past year. He didn't really fill the role. Byron Pringle, I don't really think, is exactly what they were looking for at that uh, position. But now they really do get a guy behind uh, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and to kind of pair with Mecole Hardman there that does something a little bit different. You can put him in the slot. He's a big slot dude, physical, yards after catch type of guy. And Juju Smith-Schuster gets a a chance to raise his stock back up to try to cash in on free agency again next year and prove that he's still got it. Uh, The next one was, I know this isn't a huge signing for a lot of people, but I really like this one. I thought Dante Fowler was one of the more underrated uh, free agents out there. And on a one-year deal to the Dallas Cowboys, they get a guy to play opposite of Tank Lawrence. And the big thing here is Dante Fowler gets to reunite with Dan Quinn, who brought him into Atlanta when he had a big year in Atlanta that first year. I think he had like eight and a half, nine sacks. So I think that that's a really good get for them. And instead of going out and getting one of these big these big number guys like Von Miller, uh, Randy Gregory, Chandler Jones, they end up trying to get a little more team-friendly deal here. They get a guy that's very capable of rushing a passer. So I liked it. I like Dante Fowler to the Dallas Cowboys on one year. The last non-quarterback deal we're going to have on our list here is going to be Zadarius Smith signing with the Minnesota Vikings on a three-year, $42 million deal. So originally, Zadarius committed to the, the Ravens, was going to sign, backs out, and now he's going to the Minnesota Vikings. As a Packer fan, this one hurts my soul a little bit. I really liked Zadarius Smith. When he was healthy, he's a top five, top ten pass rusher in the league. This guy's he's really unique in what he's able to do. And... Now Minnesota gets a guy and essentially going to a division rival here. It's it's going to be painful to watch if you're a Packers fan. But Minnesota gets a guy to play opposite Daniel Hunter if they don't move him. And it really seems like Minnesota's going to run it back here. They're going to run it back and try to make the playoffs uh, based on all the moves that they've made as of recently. So huge, huge opportunity for Zadarius Smith to kind of get some revenge on the Packers. Who It, it sounds like he kind of got salty with that front office over time here. All right, then as promised, the last two moves are going to be quarterback guys. So uniquely, they're from the same draft class as well, too. But the first one's going to be Marcus Mariota signs with the Atlanta Falcons. It's very similar to the, the Mitch Trubisky deal. I believe it's two years, like $16 million, so it's a little bit more than Mitch got. But essentially, uh, Mariota gets his shot to start again now that Matt Ryan's been moved. Uh, th- I don't think this uh, prohibits them from taking a, a quarterback in the draft. That actually, actually probably helps because now you get them 
get to sit him behind a, a very capable starter, a very respected quarterback in the league. I, I'm not going to say Marcus Mariota is going to go out there and win you a ton of football games, but he's not going to go out there and lose you a ton of football games either. So don't hate this move for the Falcons. And uh, he, he's a huge, Ar- or a huge Arthur Smith disciple, so it'll be really interesting to see how this one shakes out. And then the last one is going to be Jameis Winston returning to the New Orleans Saints. Uh, this essentially is the Saints end up missing out on the uh, Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, so they went back to door number B or door number two, and they get their guy from the past couple of years. I know he's got the torn ACL. It sounds like he's going to be ready for training camp, so he shouldn't miss a ton of time. And they get him on a two-year, twenty-eight million dollar deal, so uh, it's not like they're tied to him long term either. But he he was very capable when he did play for the New Orleans Saints last year, so I think it's a guy that they can feel confident in that they can come in and be competitive as long as he's at the helm. So that was a mouthful. That was a ton of transactions. Uh, They're not done yet. There's still a ton of guys out there that can get added that are still quality uh, football players in the NFL. So it'll be really interesting. And I'm I'm still going to try to do some of these uh, fix your franchises here coming up. So I'll be sure to include some of these guys that are left out there in some of those segments. So let's jump right back over to our top fives. So as we went live with the last segment uh, that morning, we had a trade come through that I had to discuss because it's a huge blockbuster trade. So that's what we're going to do here quick in between uh, segments. But essentially, Tyree Kill is getting traded from the Kansas City Chiefs to the Miami Dolphins. I'm guessing he saw the Devontae Adams trade and a subsequent contract extension and was like, well, you guys going to pony up now or later? And basically the Kansas City Chiefs said, nah, we're going to get rid of you. So they deal him to the Miami Dolphins. In return, the Dolphins are sending back their first-round pick this year. That's pick number 29. Their second-round pick this year, pick number 50. A fourth-round pick this year, and then a fourth and sixth-round pick next year. So they're getting a ton of draft capital, two premium picks in it, and mostly middle-round picks. And uh, I'm just going to address this right off the bat, that the return for this is not that much more than, if if it even is more than the Devontae Adams uh, compensation. The two picks that the the Raiders gave up for Devontae Adams are much more valuable, much more higher than a lot of the picks that are involved here. Like 22 is significantly higher value than 29. When you think about the trade that the Packers pulled off for Jordan Love a couple years ago, they moved from like 27 to like 22 or like 29 to 24. Either way, it was like five spots they moved up. And I think they dealt like two fourth-round picks, which is essentially what you're seeing as extra compensation here. So I'm not considering this a huge dub by the Kansas City Chiefs. But I think it raises a bigger question as to what is the value of a top receiver these days because you keep seeing in the draft every year there's these huge impact receivers getting drafted and making day one impacts. Jamar Chase, uh, Justin Jefferson, DK Metcalf, all these guys in the last three drafts that have been like generational talents, but they keep popping up. And even some of these guys in the second round are able to come in and make an impact. You know, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, fourth round pick last year. These are all guys that you could be had for day two, day three picks that can come in and play for you and fill a role. They might not be a 1500 yard receiver like a Justin Jefferson, but even then, we're still getting guys like that every year. So I still think it raises a question, is, is a, a star wide receiver worth you know $25 million against your cap, or is he worth you know a couple first-rounders in the upcoming drafts? And I, I, I'm starting to lean toward the latter. So nonetheless, this, this sends some shockwaves through the league because it kind of came out of nowhere. 
and Kansas City is going to have to look to reload here. But when, as long as you got an MVP under center, I won't be too concerned. On the other side of things, the Miami Dolphins are showing that they're going to do whatever it takes to win football games. And, you know, hopefully Tua can be able to push the ball down the field because he's got the two fastest receivers in the league between Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill now. So I'm really excited to see what Mike McDaniel can kind of cook up in that offense for him. But nonetheless, huge trade for the NFL today. So we're back here with our top five uh, positional rankings for the NFL 2022 NFL Draft. And we're going to lead right back off here with the offensive tackles. Then we're going to get to the interior offensive linemen. And then round it out with the tight ends for the draft and our rankings. So right off the bat, we're going to start with our number five offensive tackle. And I'm a little bit lower on this guy than most of uh, the consensus is in the draft here. But it's going to be Spencer Penning, the tackle out of Northern Iowa. Uh, he was a senior bowl standout. He was absolutely mauling dudes, just trying to basically straight up fight guys at the super senior bowl pretty much. And uh, when you turn on the tape, you can see that that's the, that's the kind of tenacity he plays with. It's not just a show. He He's a very ultra aggressive, almost to his detriment at times. I, I don't see him getting on guys at the second level very well. There's a lot of whiffs in the run game. And I don't necessarily think he's the, he's the most dynamic in his pass sets, but he does a decent job. So if you're in a in a, a run heavy scheme or a run heavy system here, this could be your perfect you know right tackle, maybe even some left tackle production out of this guy. Uh, the only reason I don't have him higher is like I said, I just I don't trust him at that second level, especially if you're running like a zone scheme, trying to peel off and get to these backers. So that's going to keep him down at the bottom of my list. It's it's stuff that can be corrected. It can't and you know you can't teach tenacity. So. He's still going to get a top five spot in my book, and he's a he's a second round, borderline first round grade for me. Uh, moving right up the the list here is going to be our number four offensive tackle, and it's going to be, excuse me, Tyler Smith from Tulsa. And uh, I was actually really surprised when I turned on the film. He was like one of the last guys I watched, and it was impressive because he he did go against some some top notch competition. Oklahoma State was one of the best defenses in the league this past year. He got to play against them. He went up against some of them uh, five-star recruits that are at Ohio State, and he held up really well. Uh, what I was really impressed with is even in his pass sets, he's got very violent hands, I thought. When he's making an impact and he's striking you, he's being aggressive doing it. He's playing with tenacity. And the most important part is his pass sets look very fluid, very solid. He was able to stay uh, on the outside track on a lot of these big-time rushers. Uh, he made Zach Harrison almost a non-factor for the Ohio State Buckeyes. So th that's that's why he he's inching up my my board here. I really liked him. I actually have a uh one two grade on this guy. I could see him going at the bottom half of the first round, top of the second round and being a steal at that. I'd be okay taking this guy somewhere just on the edge of the top 20. But uh Tyler Smith uh high high regards in my books and he's at offensive tackle number 4. And that's going to take us into offensive tackle number three. And this is where we're going to start to get into some of these blue blood type of guys, some of these uh, really high, high top-notch recruit, or excuse me, prospects. And at number three, we got Charles Cross, the offensive tackle out of Mississippi State. Uh, very, very good pass blocker in that air raid system that they had. I think he's he's marginal in the run game, which is why he's at offensive tackle three and not number two or one. But he's probably the best pass blocker on this list. It's just his run blocking is that much further behind some of these other guys. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's still really good. And honestly, if if you're taking this guy at, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you're getting really good value. He's he's that good and he's well worth the draft pick in this class. So offensive tackle three, Charles Cross. 
And next up is going to be number two. It's going to be offense, or excuse me, offensive tackle number two. And it's going to be Evan Neal, uh, offensive tackle out of Alabama. And I was actually kind of shocked by this because I was super high on Evan Neal. I thought he moved really well. I thought he was really balanced. I thought he was ultra aggressive in the run game. And I thought that played really well. I thought it was going to be my number one offense, excuse me, offensive tackle and, and to the offseason here. But I did a rewatch on Iki Aquanu, who I wasn't very high on last year because I didn't like his pass sets. But what I've seen this year, honestly, I thought the pass game was good enough. This guy's like a next-level run blocker. Like, he is a whole other machine, like, just throwing dudes all over the place. It doesn't matter if you're D-lineman, linebacker. He's getting after you. And Iki Iquandu's going number one in my my book. I guess I just gave it away here. So offensive tackle two, Evan Neal. Uh, offensive tackle number one, Iki Iquandu, NC State. And I just was shocked at his tenacity and like his his pass drops or pass sets have come so far as to I think he can play offensive tackle in the league now I was in the firm camp at the beginning of the year I didn't know if he moved his feet well enough I didn't know if he could get out and you know jump sets I didn't know if he could get the corner on some of these guys that were going to be way more athletic than him but he proved it enough to me this year and uh that tape against Jermaine Johnson was really fun they're trading blows the entire time which honestly yeah I think Jermaine Johnson just got as many on him as he got on uh, Jermaine Johnson. But regardless, Iki Iguanu is a, is a generational talent, especially in the run game. So if you're at the top of this draft, you're looking for an offensive lineman, and you know I'm looking at you, New York Jets, don't be afraid to take this guy. And if you have to play somebody else inside, do it, because he's worth a top five selection. Iki Iguanu, offensive tackle number one. Next up, uh, I don't think there's going to be any surprises here in the top five interior offensive linemen, but at number five, it's going to be Dylan Parham. He's an interior offensive lineman, I believe, guard here for the Memphis Tigers. And really, I, I classified the interior offensive linemen as like two different categories, like ultra aggressive or like ultra like quick. And Parham kind of falls in the latter category where he's super agile. He's very quick to the second level. He's able to get sticky on linebackers. And I think he'd be really good on it, like an inside zone, outside zone kind of system where you'd let him use that speed to try to beat some of these guys. He's got some flexibility at guard or center uh, to play, so he, he can be using a lot of different schemes. I just don't think he's going to be this this super like animal mauler in the run game that you're going to see go in the top you know one or two rounds that really kind of get the the highlight plays get the get all the glory I guess is what I'm looking for here so he's going to be one of them guys that gets drafted on like the third or fourth round that ends up starting in this first year or two in the NFL and everybody's like oh this guy's really solid where'd he come from and this is exactly where he's I think he's going to be a very reliable option and versatility on the interior is a huge factor as well too uh for our fourth our number four interior offensive lineman uh this a lot of people have this guy ranked at tackle and I just don't see it just because I don't think he moves well enough. But I think he's a he's he's a war daddy on the inside that's not afraid to get after guys. He actually might be the most aggressive most aggressive guy in the draft other than Iki Aquanu and it's Darian Kennard, uh interior offensive lineman from Kentucky. I believe he played exclusively at right tackle for Kentucky this past year, right or left tackle. But I think he's gonna he's gonna translate into getting kicked inside because he does a really good job of just being physically dominant off the ball. I think speed can beat him, which is going to be the main reason. 
he's getting kicked inside, but I think he could really excel there. I think in, in like a, like a gap a gap system, uh, in a power system here, I think you can really get after dudes. He's got a huge frame. I think he's like six five, like three twenty. So he's he's got definitely enough size to play and to move some of them bigger uh, defensive linemen. But nonetheless, I think he's he's worth like a second round pick. I'm not taking a chance on this guy in the first round and try to roll him out at right tackle. I'd be way more comfortable in the middle of the second round. Uh, if you want to try him at tackle, and if he doesn't do well, great. Kick him inside, and you got a Pro Bowl guard for the next, you know, five, six years. So uh, Darian Kennard, my number four interior offensive lineman. My number three interior offensive lineman is going to be Kenyon Green from Texas A&M. Uh, Kenyon Green was a fairly touted prospect at the end of the year here. I think he's always kind of translated as an interior offensive lineman. They've tried him at a number of different spots. I think he's played all along the offensive line. And he, he didn't fare very well at offensive tackle, which is why he's getting kicked back inside here. He's got the same problem where he's this super aggressor. I think he's a little more laterally agile than uh, Darian Kennard, hence why he's ranked higher on my list here. But he's also got a ton of positional versatility. I think he's played some center. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But he's also got... Uh, where he, he's going to excel as that guard. And if you needed a guy in a pinch, you know, two or three guys go down in the game, you can kick him out to tackle for a few reps. But once again, he's one of them guys that's like a super ultra aggressor. He's not afraid to stick his nose in there and move guys off the ball. He just moves a little bit better laterally and is able to get a little wider on some of these zone plays than Darian Kennard is, which is why I gave him a, a round one, two type of grade. And that's going to lead us right into our number two interior offensive lineman. And this is like your your steady do-it-all type of guy. I uh, believe he's a three-year starter out of Boston College, Zion Johnson. Uh, the record holder at the combine this year for the bench reps, I believe he had like 35 or 36. So he's got a ton of strength. But even in his game, I mean, he's he obviously plays with strength. You could see it. But it's not the only thing he plays with. He's still super fluid. He knows exactly what his assignment is at all times. He does whatever you ask him to. He's one of the smartest players on your offensive line once you take him. I just think he can do it all. He just doesn't have the the splash, flashy plays that you've seen from like a Quentin Nelson coming out where you're seeing a guy that's going to get taken really high in the first round uh, playing on the interior of the offensive line. So that's going to keep him at the bottom of the first round. But whoever gets him is going to start him. And they're not going to be mad at all. You're going to have a guy that's going to be able to help anchor the interior of your offensive line. And as a plus, once again, positional versatility. This is a guy that I believe took snaps at the senior bowl at center. So I really like my prospects with Zion Johnson. He's definitely a guy that I would not be mad about taking at the bottom of the first round. I'm looking at you, Green Bay Packers. And that's going to take us to our number one interior offensive lineman in the 2022 NFL Draft. No surprise here. Everybody knows who it is already since he didn't make the rest of my list. Tyler Linderbaum. I think this guy's a unique talent at the center position. He's got a very unique blend of speed and aggressiveness and just knowledge of what his assignments are. Coming off of double teams, getting the loop around guy on a, on a stunt. I think that he's got next level... I should say with recognition block or excuse me, pass rush recognition. And then he's also super tenacious in the, in the run game. The only thing that's holding him back from being a top 10, top 15 selection is going to be his size. He's only like 290 some pounds. He's got really short arms, which is why he's going to stay on the interior and why he never kicked out. 
but I still think that this is a winning football player. This is a guy you want on your team. Where I was known for churning out prospects that are absolutely dominant on the offensive line at the next level. See, uh, next case, Tristan Wirfs. And I think this is just the next guy up. I think that he's going to be an absolutely phenomenal talent that gets taken early in the second round, late in the first round. And then in four years, we go, why did we overthink it? Why did we think that this guy wouldn't be good? And the answer is, I don't know, but I think that he's really good. And if you took him at pick 11, wouldn't be mad at all. If you took him at pick 27, I'm going to be laughing, shaking my head, saying someone just got the biggest steal of the draft. So Tyler Linderbaum, number one interior offensive line. Leading right off into our tight end segment here, it I really struggled with the tight ends in this one because I think that there's a clear-cut number one in this class. And then I think there's a huge drop-off to like guys that I wouldn't take before round three round three is about the earliest I would take some of these guys just because I don't see like there's holes in their game that I'm not exactly that confident about uh and and you'll see where they are as as we get to them here but my number five tight end in full transparency here I'm going to include everybody on this I actually really liked Jalen Weidermeyer he's not my tight end number five but he didn't even make my list here but I have huge red flags after seeing the five flat 40 at his pro day. I knew he was slow. I was thinking like mid four sevens, like you could get over it. We could teach this guy how to block. You run in the fives, you getting off my list. And I don't think you're an NFL football player playing at a skill position. So that's just full transparency here before we get started. At number five, I've got Cade Otten, a tight end from Washington. And this is a guy I didn't really know about. Uh, I've been kind of digging around on some lists, uh, looking at guys that I wanted to take a look at and watch. And really, when I watch this guy, I, I thought he was—he's he, a very balanced player, and that's going to be a theme here with some of these these first guys that make our list. But he's a very balanced player. He's not like this huge dynamic pass threat, and that's why he's at number five and not like three or four. But he does a, a fairly decent job in the run game. Uh, he's he get he's willing to engage guys. I don't really think he's the type of guy you're going to detach from your formation and expect to be a dynamic playmaker. But I definitely think he's a guy that can be a, a, a contributor in the run game as a blocker, as some of these leak passes, some of these underpasses. He's not going to be a vertical stretch guy. I don't think he's ever going to be a huge dynamic threat. But I definitely think he's a guy that you could take in the fourth or fifth round and get some production as a, out, of, out of a tight end two role. So that's going to kind of spell out what I think of this class here for you. It was my number five guy's a tight end two projection. So that's going to roll us right into our tight end number four, and it's going to be Jeremy Rickard, a uh, tight end out of Ohio State. And I know a lot of guys really like this guy and would be okay with taking him in the second round, and I just I can't get there. I don't see enough. And I know Ohio State didn't use him right. They didn't throw him the ball a ton. They didn't target him a ton. But even then, I don't even I don't see any of the stuff on film that everybody else is seeing, like that he's this willing blocker, that he's like this stretch, this field stretcher when he's given the chance. I'm seeing, a, I thought I saw a lot of balls hitting his hands and hitting the ground. So I just wasn't that impressed with him. I mean, you could see that the, the potential's there. He just wasn't used properly. Just even when he was used properly, I can't, I can't mark that potential that high up on my board over some of these other guys that I thought put some very solid game tape out there the last couple of years. So I'm putting Rickard at number four on my tight end list. And that's going to take us right into our tight end number three. We're going to stay in the Big Ten here. And 
oh, I I loved Jake Ferguson uh, coming into the season. He's my tight end number three from Wisconsin, and I honestly I, I really liked him. I thought I, I thought he was a lot like Pat Fryermuth, uh, baby Gronk, tight end from last year out of uh, Penn State that went to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And for just so everybody's aware, I had to edit the last fifteen minutes of dead silence out while I looked his name up because I couldn't think of it for the life of me uh, while on the pod here. But regardless, I thought that Ferguson looked a lot like Fryermuth last year, but a better blocker. And honestly, I thought his 2020 stuff that he had on film was way better blocking than he was this year. I don't know if he was kind of struggling with some injuries, but he's always been a big part of that uh, that Wisconsin ground game and pass game. He's a really dynamic, balanced tight end. And I think he gives you a little bit more as like a vertical threat and a threat down the field than you're going to get from a lot of these other guys, and which which is why I, I had him rated a little higher. But there was some concerns in the blocking uh, in 2021. I thought he fell off. I thought he didn't look as good. And like I said, maybe that's attributed to injury. Maybe it's not. But it's, you're not going to get a first-round grade with what he put on tape in 2021. So that's why I had some concerns with Jake Ferguson. And that's going to push him down my board a little bit. Uh, my tight end number two is going to be Isaiah Likely out of Coastal Carolina. And just for uh, so you guys can understand where I'm at on this tight end class, Isaiah Likely is number 60 on my board right now. So that's like just barely into the second round. Uh, like I said, I, I still have guys I got to watch yet. So I'm, I'm guessing he's going to be pushed into the third round, which is about where I'd be comfortable taking him. But he's the, he's the type of move tight end that's – much more dynamic than the guys that we've talked about on this list. A lot of these guys have been in-line guys. You line them up on the line of scrimmage, on the end of the line of scrimmage, and let them go to town. But Isaiah likely is a little bit more like a, a big slot threat. You can put, split them out. You can put them in the slot. You can put them in line at like an H-back roll, motion them across. You can do a lot of cool different things with them. I don't think you're going to get much of a blocker out of him. I don't know if that's something that you can pull out of his game and – really get him to commit to just because I'm not seeing much tenacity in any really aspect of his his blocking game but I think he's a he's a pretty dynamic uh passing threat and when he's got the ball in his hands he's really able to to move the chains go up and get it and show that he can be a difference maker in the pass game which there's there's definitely enough room for that in today's NFL which is why I think that makes his role a little bit more important than the rest of these guys that made our list here. And that's why I'm going Isaiah likely at number two for or tight end number two for the 22 to, or excuse me, 2022 NFL draft. All right. And that's going to take us to our top spot here, our number one tight end. And this is the only guy I gave a first or second round grade out of this entire tight end class. And it's going to be Trey McBride, Colorado state tight end. And, I didn't realize how big this guy was until I started watching some of his film. This dude's jacked. He's ripped, and he's huge, and he's not afraid to get after it in the run game. He moves defensive ends. He will take you off your spot as a defensive lineman at about 250, 240 pounds. So that that is a huge big-time asset in the NFL. And on top of it, they use him in a lot of different like vertical threat ways. They get the ball to him all the time. They love throwing it to him. He's a huge target. Uh, which makes him even more valuable. Uh, put him in almost like a Kittle role where he can do both of these things at a high level. I, I don't want to compare him to Kittle because that's all pro level, but that's the kind of guy we're getting here. That's the kind of style of play you're going to get from him. He's a guy that will sit in the trenches and dog you all day long on the wide zone and the power plays on the middle. 
knock you off your spot. And then guess what? On third and 12, he's dropping deep. He's getting, he's beating linebackers. He's out muscling safeties for the ball. And I just, I really like this guy as a player. I can see a role for him at the next level. I think it's, it's something that'll be very big time coveted. And if you wanted to take him at the bottom half or the bottom of the first round, I'm perfectly fine with it. You get the fifth year option on the guy. And we see what tight ends are going for nowadays. You get six years of control on this guy at about 11 million or less steal. This is going to be an absolute dynamic talent. And I really like Trey McBride in his class. And I think if you're a tight end needy team, you should feel really good about your chances if this is the guy that you're bringing to your roster. So that's going to round it out for our top fives there. Uh, to close out the offensive side of the football, we're going to do quarterbacks next week. I wanted to take a little extra time to do a little deeper dive on them and uh, give you guys a little bit more of the context and content because I think this quarterback class is getting, a, a, at this point, an unfair rap. I think they still got some guys that could be contributors that have uh, potential at the next level, and everybody's just already talking about 2023. So that's what going to be flash forward into next week. So that's going to be it for this week's show. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, I was I was quite disappointed. We were getting ready to publish uh, the episode for this week, and then uh, the Tyreek Hill news drops and just completely throws me for a loop. I was not recording all of that content at the beginning. There's a ton of free agency stuff that I wanted to keep in there. But either way, I knew I had to get the Tyreek news in there. Uh, also, I wanted to make sure we got back to our top five lists as we're coming in on the draft pretty hot here. Pro days are in full swing. I will have to do a mock draft here soon. But on next week's episode, you can expect us to do our top five quarterbacks for the 22 NFL draft and then also get back to some of the Fix Your Franchise segments. So a lot of fun stuff planned for next week. So make sure you hit subscribe so that way you get notified when we're going live with it next week. Otherwise, that's all we have for you, and we'll see you back here, same spot, uh, same Thursday night next week.